Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I am happy that you have joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpack. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. The truth of the matter is, most of us, in fact, all of us has, have some anger issue have some anger issue. Anger is something that happens to us. In fact, we can actually say there's a place of anger that it is, it is natural. Natural in the sense that it is beneficial. Amen. God is angry with sinners. That's what we're told in, in Romans chapter number one, isn't it? The wrath of God is being poured out in all ungodliness of men. Why? Well, because God is a holy God and when he sees sin, he must judge sin. So he must be angry with sin. Isn't it? There are things that we should be angry about. But here we're talking about the kind of anger that is misdirected. How do we deal with that? I think Jesus is helping us understand that by showing us certain things about how to manage our anger. Number one, God's standard is higher than our standard. God's standard is higher than our standard. Look at verse number 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now remember again that Jesus has gone up to them. We're told uh, in, in verse number one of chapter number five. In fact, the crowds were following him, but he goes to the mountain and then his disciples come to him. In fact, let me read that. It says in verse number one, chapter number five, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So notice the contrast. There's the crowds and then there's the disciples. The crowds came because of the miracles, the signs and wonders that he was doing. But now it's time for the teaching. And the teaching is not for everybody. Why? Because it's only those that want to follow Jesus on their path that actually sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter number 7, he's laying out how it is that Christians or his disciples ought to be living out their lives. Right? And so again, coming back to verse number 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. Now watch this. Mountain. In the think Moses goes a mountain, comes down with the law. Jesus goes up the mountain, and somebody may start thinking that, oh, okay, he's going to tell us that the law is not important anymore. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, meaning the whole of the Old Testament, but I have come to fulfill it. Hallelujah. A lot of people think, erroneously, wrongly, that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are actually different gods. And so they actually think that grace and mercy or grace is something that is only seen in the New Testament. And that in the Old Testament there is no grace. That's not true. There is grace in the Old Testament. Abraham believed God as reckoned to him as righteousness. It was on the basis of his belief that God said, okay, I have made you righteous, not on the basis of his works. And so the law or is it the grace is something that runs throughout scripture. And Jesus says, I have come to fulfill them. How does he fulfill the law and the prophets? Well, first of all, he's the prophesied Messiah. Amen. The Messiah that was to come is Jesus. Jesus did not sin. He fulfilled the law. And so in doing or living a life that was sinless, in living a life under the authority of God and not sinning and keeping the law to the first, he fulfilled the law. 
Jesus, in the way that he lived his life, we can say as well, if we look at the part, the part of the Old Testament that is called the wisdom writings, which tell us how we ought to live, well, Jesus lived a wise life. And so he says, listen, I'm not here to abolish this. I am here to actually fulfill it. Paul writes in Galatians chapter number 3, verse number 24. He says the law was just a guardian. The law was like a nanny. The law was like somebody that was supposed to get us to a point of maturity. And that maturity is now found in Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Many times we look at the old covenant. We look at the Old Testament. We hear stories of people like Elijah and Elisha. And we basically say, wow, that's really powerful. Listen, in the new covenant, that is nothing compared to what is in the new covenant. Because in the new covenant, you have the fullness of it. Jesus says, I am the one that is the fulfillment of all that was written in the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them. Verse number 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is established. He says, listen, the, the law is going to stand. The word of God is going to stand. Not even a little dot. Not an iota, probably the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. Not an iota is going to fall away. Because what God has said stands. Hallelujah. Right? What God has said stands. And so not even a single thing from there is going to fall away until all is accomplished. Heaven and earth will pass away. See, that's why we here at Kairos, we take the word of God very seriously. Because we know all flesh is like all flesh is like all flesh is like grass and their glory the flowers of the field come on the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of our God hallelujah you've been here long enough but you see that's a thing that's a thing all these things will pass away the word of God will never pass away it is solid it is the standard it is what we stand on hallelujah Right? And so Jesus says, I didn't come to remove this. No, no, no. I actually came to fulfill it. And so he says in verse number one, number 19, I'm sorry. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the last of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called list in the kingdom of heaven. He says, anybody who goes around and starts saying, well, that, that law, I don't really like it. You know, some people have, in fact, many of us, if not all of us, have this buffet mentality when it comes to the things of God. We think it's something that you, you pick and choose. I like that. I, I don't like that. I like that. Uh, tithing. Like, I like the offering stuff. The offering is okay. Uh, I like the, the blessing, double or double. I'll get that. But live out the fasting and, and, and the overnight prayers. Ah, no, not for me. So sometimes we have that approach when it comes to the things of God and we pick and choose the things that we are going to obey. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. It's not about relaxing the laws of God. It's not about saying that's not important, but this is important. He says anybody that ever does that is the least person in the kingdom of heaven. You're a nothing, in other words, in the kingdom of heaven. But watch the contrast. He says, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great 
in the kingdom of heaven. So watch, whoever does them and teaches them. So whoever does them and teaches them. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. Amen. He's talking to his disciples. And what are disciples learners? And what are learners supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to come at a point. They're also teachers. In fact, when Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples in Matthew chapter number 28, he says, go out into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, the real disciple of Jesus disciples others. Tell your neighbor, a real disciple of Jesus disciples others. Who are you discipling, neighbor? So it's not just to do them. It's not just doing them. It's to teach others also. How many people have been taught by you? How many people have been helped by you to walk in their Christian life? Oh, you know, I've never been to Bible college. Oh, actually, Bible college may mess you up. Amen. It can just pump you up full of knowledge. We're talking about the practical things, the touching of human lives. Listen, the, the, the disciples of Jesus Christ did not have degrees. The 12 disciples did not have degrees. Oh, does that mean that we don't need degrees today? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is we should not think that having a degree is what enables you or qualifies you to be a disciple and a discipler. No, it's your recognition. In fact, you're accepting your responsibility. Amen. Accepting your responsibility that you have been saved so that you can serve. And so, the ones, whoever does them and teaches them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, who are the great people in the kingdom of heaven? The ones that are discipling others. No, but I thought it was the guy that gave out one billion kwacha to the church. Uh-uh. Not, not exactly. The ones that are discipling others. The ones that have a heart for people. The ones that want to see people change. The ones that are saying there's just too much misery, too much crazy things going on around. And the answer to the, to, to the world's problems is Jesus Amen. and the disciple. See, you and I need to understand. In evangelism, we are brought into the kingdom of light. In discipleship, are our lives transformed? Lives are transformed in discipleship, in the teaching, in, in the teaching, doing the teaching, and teaching others. And he says a person that does that will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now watch this, Jesus is all about the kingdom of heaven. See, some of us don't still catch it. Some of us, we think that it's about going to church. Some of us, we think it's about doing something. No, it's about the kingdom of God, the authority of God. That's what kingdom is. Kingdom is authority. If you're in the kingdom of God, you're under the authority of God. If you're under the authority of God, you do what God does. If you do not do what God says that you should do, you are not under the authority of God. If you do not do what God says you must do, then you are not in the kingdom of God. If you are not in the kingdom of God, you are not saved. Oh, but you know, I'm a member at Kairos. You may be in the kingdom of Kairos. Not in the kingdom of God. Because to be in the kingdom of God, you must come under the authority of God and you must obey God. Those 
that do them and teach them to others will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now watch again for Matthew. It's always the kingdom of heaven. Matthew never says the kingdom of God because Matthew is Jewish. Luke is the one who would say in passages like this, the kingdom of God, because as a Gentile, he has no qualms about calling God by his name. The Jews never call God by his name. He's the God. He's, um, he's the one who is the king of heaven. Now 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. The scribes were the lawmakers. The Pharisees were a religious grouping and were quiet, holy people, pious people. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Is Jesus trying to say you should fast more than the Pharisees? Because we know in one of his parables, one of the stories that he told, he tells a story of this Pharisee, of this, I think it was a Pharisee, a priest or somebody, and a, a sinner. Where the Pharisee says, oh, you know, comes before God and he's praying before God. He says, oh, Lord, hear me. I, I pray. I, I pray. I fast two, two times a week. I do this and I do that. And, you know, he's praying in such a manner that other people will get taken up by what he's saying. And Jesus says, you don't pray like that. But the Pharisees, we know, were quite pious people. They were people that tried to live as much as possible a righteous life. And so they fasted so many times. They went to the temple so many times. They did all this. In fact, the Pharisees had on to the law. So they'll say stuff like, listen, if, you, if on a Sabbath, you don't do any work. And if you walk more than 200 meters on a Sabbath, you have done work. In Israel, if you go to a hotel that is owned by, you know, pious Jews today, on Sabbath, on Saturday, the lifts won't go up. The elevator won't go up. Unless you yourself go there and you press and you go in. Because it is considered that if you walk in there and get into the elevator and you press and whatever, you're doing work. So the Pharisees added on to in fact the pharisees were more concerned with the outward trappings of the law they were more obsessed with the doing than the being and that's what jesus is speaking against he's speaking against a keeping of the law that is merely outward a keeping of the law that is just about external things and that's how most of us have been taught about christianity isn't it you must go to church you must do that you must do that you must do that you must do that but never about the internal restructuring that is needed for you to actually have a relationship with God. You see, God has a higher standard. God has a higher standard. We always think in terms of what the standards are around us. And so we say, well, I'm better than so-and-so. At least I go to church. At least I do this. At least I do that. And we're just missing the whole point. Because the point is God is looking at the inside. You should understand that God sees the inside and God 
has a higher standard. Number two, you should understand that God sees anger as murder. As far as God is concerned, anger, murder, very same thing. Again, here Jesus is going to be speaking about six particular things from this passage. In fact, from verse number 17 all the way down to verse number 48. He's going to be saying some things about things that are in the law and also things that the Pharisees have interpreted a particular way. And he's saying that, listen, it doesn't work like that. This is the heart of it. So verse number 21 there. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So those of old, from the law, you should not murder. Now, murdering and killing are different things. Hallelujah. Murdering and killing are different things. Murdering is a crime. Killing can actually be in self-defense, Somebody was trying to kill you, and so in the process you kill them. It's called self-defense. Amen? Amen? Amen. Murder has to do with a premeditated that you want to kill that person. You can accidentally kill somebody, isn't it? Accidentally killing somebody is not murdering somebody. And even in the Bible we find that there are what are called cities of refuge. Where if somebody accidentally kills somebody else, they could run to and seek refuge in that place. Lest the avenger of blood or the relative of this person that was killed would come and say, well, blood for blood, we're going to kill. And so, murder, killing, different things. You may be a policeman. And on the one side are the criminals who came for the seven, and you're on this. And you're a Christian policeman. That's not the time to kneel down and pray. That's not the time to kneel down and pray. That's the time that you pull out your gun and you shoot back. Right? Why? Well, because God has set you an authority in this nation or in the world that you'd bring about peace. And here's something that is lost on us. Peace comes by war. For you to enjoy peace is somebody has made war somewhere. That's why there is peace. Because the normal state of this world is one of upheavals and lack of peace. Right? And so then, when we speak of murder, let's not confuse murder with killing. Hallelujah. And so he says again, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And yes, in the Old Testament, when you murder somebody, you will be liable for judgment. In fact, God, in Genesis chapter number 9, says to Noah, Whoever kills a man, by a man shall he be killed. And in effect, God was saying, I'm giving, human, I'm giving humans the authority to take human life. Why? Well, because an, a, a human being has killed another human being who is made in the image and likeness of God, they must pay the ultimate price, which is they must be killed. And so the Old Testament spoke of killing or murdering as something that required that they should be the killing of that person. See, when the murderer kills, it's murder. The law kills it's not murder it's justice right it's justice oh but you know pastor really think we should have the 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 
the death penalty now if the penalty is something that we should be having well I think that's something that as a democracy we can come at a point of agreeing to say well we should be or we should not be killing people uh, due to the death penalty we can agree on that but there is enough warrant from the Bible to say that because somebody is made in the image and likeness of God and you take their lives and you must pay the ultimate price of, of taking a person's life well that's not going to reform them well the law is not just about reform the law is also about restitution paying back how do you pay back a life by serving life in another place uh, I don't know like I said I'm not the Malawian electorate citizenship I'm not I'm that's something that the country decides but sure there is warrant from the Bible that says that because we're made in the image of and likeness of God and so to kill us means that you 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 must pay the ultimate price of killing somebody right but watch this though he says again you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment verse number 22 but I say to you now watch how Jesus flips the script but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Uh, everybody who's angry, yes. How does that jive? Angry, led to the same judgment. And then he says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. In fact, literally, whoever calls his brother Raka, empty head. See the higher standard of Jesus. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Which council? The Jewish ruling council? Uh-uh. His council. The ultimate council. That's what he's talking about. What judgment? The ultimate judgment in heaven. And then he says, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You fool. How many? When was the last time you said you fool? Okay, sometimes you don't say it. Sometimes you say it inside. Remember Jesus is dealing with the inside? You know, there's a lot of us that cuss inside. We stop cussing outside, but inside we cuss. Hallelujah. And he says, that's the kind of stuff that's going to get you the death sentence with God. And in the last part, he basically says, if you call whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire the Gehenna of fire now Gehenna was a place south of Jerusalem it was called the Valley of Hinnom it was where they would pour out all the waste from the city dead animals and stuff like that would be taken out there and they'll be burnt out there so there was this fire most of the times in the Valley of Hinnom in Gehenna he says that's what is going to await you with your anger issue Hallelujah. See, anger or murder starts with anger. You remember the first murder? In fact, the first murder was really about worship. It was in church, the first murder. Cain and Abel, they go before God. Each one presents their offering before God. God accepts one. One offering, he doesn't accept the other one. Well, in, in Hebrews we're told it was not a faith. So the other one was not given of faith, and so, and, and so God did not accept it. But the one that was given of, uh, of faith, God accepted it. And this person disliked his brother. 
He got jealous of his brother. He got angry with his brother. What's the next thing that happened? He killed his brother. I don't know if there were no... Maybe there were no bottles to, to smash or chairs, furniture to kick or something like that. But he took it out on his brother and he killed his brother. You see, that anger is not as innocent as it looks. That anger is not as innocent as it looks. That anger is murderous. Murderous. It's the stuff of murder. It's the stuff of killing other people with no cause at all. And so Jesus puts it in its right place. It starts with anger. Paul writes, he says, Be angry, but do not sin. Uh, you mean I can be angry and not sin? Yeah. You can be wronged. And because you're wronged, you should be angry, but do not sin. And he says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. And it's like he's saying, when you're angry and the sun goes down on your anger, you have actually sinned. And that's in Ephesians chapter number four. And then he goes on to say that when you're angry and you sin by letting the sun go down on your anger, he says, and don't open a door. Don't give a place to the enemy. In other words, anger and resolved anger that has turned sinful opens a door to the enemy to come into your life. See, let nobody fool you. The enemy does not come into your life without you opening the door. So people say stuff like, oh, I need deliverance. I need deliverance. And I say, Yes, you need deliverance. Let's find the place you open the door. Because it's not like the enemy will just come barging into your life. He can't do that. Especially if you're a Christian. He just can't come into your life. If you've given your life over to Christ, he just can't come barging into your life and taking over. No, it's because there's a door that has been opened. And when you give him, when you give him an inch, he takes a yard. Remember Bob Marley. Give them an inch, they take a yard. Give them a yard, they take a mile. Yes, that's the devil. You just give him a little bit, he spreads it more. Just give him a little bit, it, it, it gets bigger. So that, that which started off as you are just hungry, turns into bitterness, turns into you not seeing that person really you know, well, because somehow you have issues with that person. Isn't it? And it's those issues piling up that make it that they should be the murder uh, explosion. I do not know if you've noticed some four or five weeks ago, there was a lot of debate about the quarter system and people getting really angry about it. Now, others are saying, oh, but you're excluding us. Others are saying, no, but there should be a fair system, da, 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 da. You know, for me, my conclusion is, as we haven't dealt with our stuff. And so any little stuff, we're not even ready to reason or do whatever, we will blow up. Why? We have anger issues. And you know, even in families, it's like that. Husband, wife, what do they argue about? Oh, why did you put the cup there? They had a fight because the cup was put in the wrong place. Ah, it wasn't about the cup. It was about issues that have accumulated. It's an anger issue. 
And here's the sad part about anger, anger and frustration. You can never be fruitful and frustrated. Those things don't go together. You cannot be frustrated and very fruitful in that day. Impossible. Impossible. You're either frustrated or you're either fruitful. And so then, Jesus puts things in their proper perspective for us. Anger is murder. Anger is murder. Ask your neighbor, how many people have you murdered? I've never killed anybody. Uh, you are serial killing to happen. You are an axe murderer waiting to happen. Just at the time that you blow over and boom, people start saying, whoa. You said he's a pastor. Yes. He had anger. Watch. Verse number 23. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Watch something else about anger. Anger stops you in your relationship with God. Okay, here's my third point. God expects you to reconcile, right? God expects you to reconcile. So number two was God sees anger as murder. Number one, God what? Has a higher standard, isn't it? God has a higher standard. God sees anger as murder, and God expects you to reconcile. So, verse number 23 again. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you. Watch it. Your brother has something against you. Not that you have anything against your brother. Remember higher standard? Higher standard. Tell your neighbor, higher standard. Mm-hmm. It's not you having issues with your brother. It's your brother having issues with you. You remember there. You remember, oh, my brother has an issue with me. He says, leave your offering. Leave your gift. Why? <laughs> Probably if you take your gift, he may not come back. Eh? Leave your gift there. And he says, first be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. What does coming to church have to do with reconciling with my brother? Oh, everything. 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 Because God expects that you would be a person that are in relationship with him, but also because you're in relationship with him, you're also in relationship with other people. Here's something that we do when we're doing foundations in cells. We say at the very beginning of creation, we find three kinds of relationships. The first relationship is a relationship between humanity and God. God and his creation. What kind of relationship can there be? One of worship. What can you do with God? Can you sit down with God and have coffee, have a drink, and chat about yesterday? There's no yesterday, today with, with God. Everything's just one moment. I mean, he knows everything. Can you really have a chat with him? I mean, sometimes we get intimidated to chat with other people because we think they're just so intelligent, right? How much more, God? And so the relationship that exists there between God and man is a relationship. It's a relationship of worship. Yeah, come Second relationship, humanity. 
God creates man in his image and his likeness. Male and female, he created them. So male and female together, they comprise the image of God. And he, he creates Adam, creates Eve, and from them, they're supposed to bring up the whole of the human population. But a human population, that starts off in love. And so, that relationship amongst human beings, beginning with the family, characterized by love, we call fellowship. And so human beings are to be in fellowship with one another. And then there's a third relationship as well. The relationship between humanity and the created order. Where humanity is to manage the created order. Where humanity is to replenish the earth. Where humanity is to be creative and, and create things, manufacture things from the resources that are in the earth. When humanity fell, when man sinned, those three relationships were messed up. The relationship with God was messed up. The relationship with one another was messed up. And the relationship with creation was also messed up because curse was the ground because of the sin of Adam. When somebody believes in God, puts his trust, heart trust in Jesus Christ, the expectation is now you are reordering those, re those three relationships. You have reordered the relationship with God and now you are reordering the relationship with other human beings. There's no way you can hate people. There's no way you can hate people. In fact, because you have now become a Christian, this is the time that you start loving people. You start seeing people as in the image and likeness of God. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, listen, a new commandment I give to you that you have love one for another. He says, here's how they will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. He didn't say, here's how they're going to know that you're my disciples. Well, when you decree and declare and things happen. Uh -uh. He didn't say, oh, here's how they're going to know that you're my disciple when you have a lot of money, when you're prosperous, when you're walking in double anointing. Uh -uh. He says, they're going to know that you are my disciples for by the way that you love one another. So love, oh, is the highest thing in the kingdom of God. Amen. In fact, when Paul is writing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, writing to the church at Corinth, which can be none of those gifts. In other words, they were high up there in terms of the exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, the gifts of the Holy Spirit must operate in love. And if you're operating the gifts of the Holy Spirit and there, and there is no love, it's nothing. Amen. He says, if I prophesy, if I speak in tongues of men and tongues of angels, but have no love, I'm just like a clanging cymbal and a sounding gong. Why? Because love is what is supposed to characterize us. See, here's what the devil has done. The devil has brought, come into the church, brought the values of the world and said, that's useless. Love is useless. Love is not powerful. I mean, do we respect people because they're the most loving people? Do they award degrees in love? Do they give you a raise in the company because you're a very loving um, employee? Nobody does that. Why? Because that is seen as weak, weakness. They want you to be powerful. They want to be assertive. They want you to show that you got things in control. They want you 
to act in such a way that they, you make them fear them or fear you. That's the world. With us, it's about love. So here, God is basically saying, listen, if you have your offering, you bring it and you remember that you and your brother are not really clicking like you should. Here's what you should do. You should ensure that you leave that thing there and go and get reconciled with your brother. Hallelujah. See, we have people that need to reconcile here. You see, sometimes we think we're not getting the breakthrough because, you know, the devil is stopping us. Uh -uh. Other times it's because we have not forgiven. When Jesus teaches on prayer, one of the things in the Lord's Prayer, or the, the, the prayer that he teaches the disciples, one of the things he says that we should say is that, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. In other words, you're going to do with me, my phone is gone, no power. In other words, you're going to do with me according to the way I deal with others. And it could just be that the way that you're dealing with others is the way God, in fact it is, the way that you're dealing with others is the way that God is dealing with you. So your being unforgiving can actually be the stumbling block to moving into the destiny that God has for you. Ah, but you know, it's not really a big thing. Uh, for God, it's a big thing. For God, He expects that you who uh, has come at a point that you believe in Him, that you would be a person that would do things according to the way that He does things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not a demon. So, uh, watch this. Verse... Number 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then and come and offer your gift. Ask your neighbor, are you supposed to be in church today? Because some of us are not supposed to be in church today. Because we are supposed to go to our brother and sort out issues and then come to church. Hallelujah. See, Jesus goes for the heart. He's looking at something deeper. It's not just about how we act on the outside. It's not just about, oh, I forgive you. Do you forgive from the heart? See, he wants forgiveness from the heart. Not a forgiveness that's cosmetic on the outside. No. And as long as we are not walking in reconciliation, we will not experience God's touch. And so he says in the following verse, verse number 25, he says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What's Jesus talking about? Well, in those days it would be that if you owe me money, and you couldn't pay my money back, what I would do is I'll take you to the judge, take you to court. The court would, the judge would say, okay, you really owe this person and you're not paying any cent, anything. Well, until you pay this money, we're putting, in, we're putting you in jail. You're going to be there until you pay all that money. Until you pay the last penny 
the smallest of the coins until you pay the last one. Why? Well, because you have not sought to reconcile with your brother. You, at the beginning, should have sought to say, listen, let's sort this one out. Before it went into, before the sun went down, you should have said, let's sort this out. You should have talked to her, talked to him and said, listen, listen let, let's sort, let's straighten this thing out. But you did not do that and so it escalated. It went, be, be, uh, it went beyond the two of you, it got to the court, it got to the judge, it got to prison. And so because it has come like that, you will pay. Do you know many times when we keep grudges, we're the ones that pay? For lack of forgiveness keeps you in prison. Because you are the one who is bitter. So the other person is busy, smiling at you, coming the other way, and inside you, you don't even know what to do. You just want to turn around. Has that person said anything to you? No. But it's because you are bitter inside. You have held a grudge of anger inside you. And if that person were to say something, and it wasn't just a good day for you, oh, you'd let him have it. That's the stuff of murder. That's the stuff of murder. There must be reconciliation. We need to learn to keep short accounts. To talk to each other and say to each other, listen, you wronged me. And this way our culture doesn't help us, isn't it? In our culture, we don't want to be confrontational. We'd rather be polite than tell the truth. And you see, bottled up anger also has a downside. It can bring stress. It can bring psychological issues. It can actually get you sick. Amen. Go to the hospital. They test everything. Okay, blood count. Ah, nothing. Nothing. We can't find anything wrong with you. But yet you are sick. You are shivering. Maybe you are too hungry. I mean too hungry. Maybe you are too hungry and you've got into this depressed mood. Because you are just so mad. So what do you do about it? You learn to forgive. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Is there a thing that God will not forgive you? Or has not forgiven you? There isn't. He forgives you and starts all over with you again. Very same thing. You must learn to forgive. If you do not learn to forgive, then your relationship with God is not going to flow the way it should. And then you're going to heap upon yourself all these crazy sicknesses and all crazy things. In fact, nobody likes an angry person. Nobody likes an angry person. Sometimes you may actually wonder, why don't people like me? Oh, because you're going about angry. You're an angry person. You're just waiting for the spark to blow up. And nobody wants to be around somebody like that. How about as a nation? We haven't resolved our issues as a nation. Do you know that? As a nation, we have not resolved our issues. We still, the elections are coming up next year. We still have the mentality that, oh, they're from the north. Or they're from the south. Or they're Lomwe. Or they're whatever. Why is that? Because we have a history of wronging each other that we have not dealt with. We're not reconciled. And up until the point that this nation comes at a point where it actually says, listen, oh, we did bad things to each other. And let's not think that, oh, you know, it was Kamuzu. It was whatever. Did Kamuzu go to anybody's house to pick them and throw them into jail? No. It was us. 
Our forefathers, they were part of that system and we have inherited that. We need to come at a point that we are reconciled community. It starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with standing that I should manage my anger. God has a higher standard. He just doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. It starts with understanding that God sees anger, sinful anger, as a sin. In fact, a murder. And we need to come at a point of seeking to be a people that reconcile with each other. May I ask you today, this week, may you go back to that person that you have wronged. Or that person that you know has issues with you. May you write them a not. Sometimes maybe it gets to be hard to say, to tell them face to face, this is how you wronged me. But may you send maybe a carefully ca calculated written text to say, listen, this is how I feel. And I'd like to meet up with you so that we can sort this thing out. Because friend, as long as you have those issues, you, God will not deal with you the way he wants to deal with you. Because you have not forgiven others so that he can forgive you. Hallelujah. May we be a reconciled community. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.